listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, visit my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send in your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call 757-774-8482. You can call or text that number, 757-774-8482. Yes, indeed. This is the Fret Files Podcast. I am Eric Daw, your friendly guitar expert. Over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars, and with me, as always, is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. Greetings, guitar nerds. Greetings, Melissa. And greetings to you, listener. I tell you, we got some great questions this evening, uh, or this morning, or whatever the case may be. Some follow-ups from last month's episode. We've got questions about steel wool. Uh, we've got some questions about left-handed guitars, no-load pots, headstock decal mysteries, Do-do-do-do. and uh, questions about whether or not to detune your guitar while you're storing it. I like that. Uh, anyway, we've got a lot of good questions. We've also got a call to take. Um, but... If you missed the last uh, episode, and a lot of people did, and I'll tell you why, there was a technical glitch, and for the first two days, I think, the episode was posted, but it was a duplicate. Oh. So instead of a fresh episode, you got the previous month's episode, and it was stale as last week's bread, and I think a lot of people tried to listen to it and said, well, the, well I've already heard this. And then and then stopped listening because uh, I can tell by looking at the downloads that once the glitch was fixed, only about half of our normal listeners listened to that episode. Oh, so wow. Yeah, so if you missed last episode, it is fixed. It did get fixed, and it is there. But there was a pretty big announcement, so it was a bad time for a glitch. But uh, the announcement is that we have moved to Idaho. Yep. Yeah. We uh, moved from Seattle, where we were formerly located, and we have moved to Idaho, where we're sitting now. And uh, it's been a smooth transition. Everything's cool. I have quit my job at Emerald City Guitars. I was there for 15 years. I quit that job, and uh, I've, I loved it. There was, there was no, you know, bad blood in leaving Emerald City. I still have a great relationship with those guys, and they're still going to send me repairs, and I'm still going to send them custom guitars. And so everything is copacetic. Uh, But leaving Seattle and leaving Emerald City Guitars is going to give me way more time to focus on building guitars. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus more on building, less on repairing, but I'm still still going to do guitar repairs. And uh, anybody that wants or needs some repair help from me, just give me a shout. You can do so by going to my website, ericdaw.com. And as far as the custom guitars go, you know I make custom guitars, right? I do. 
Tell me um, about it, though. Pin-up custom guitars, and I make an occasional Eric Daw custom guitar. But this is a this is an email I sent out to all my subscribers for my custom guitars. And if you want updates and emails, you can go to ericdaw.com and click on subscribe. Actually, it's on the pinupcustomguitars.com. Click subscribe and you'll get occasional emails from me. This is the letter I sent out to announce what was going on, so I thought I'd share this with the listeners. Quote, Hello, guitar twangers. I am happy to announce that custom made-to-order pinup guitars will be available soon. That's right, you will be able to choose the specs and details of your own build. My apologies for refusing custom orders for so long. I was so overwhelmed with guitar repairs that I didn't have the time to devote the attention needed to make guitars to order. I no longer work at Emerald City Guitars, and I am in the process of relocating to Idaho from Washington to focus more time on building guitars. I will have a huge shop where I will be making many more guitars than I was previously able to do. Consequently, more guitars will be available, and I will resume taking custom orders like I did several years ago. I will still be repairing guitars, but the volume of repairs should be much more manageable and will not take up so much of my time. Just as an aside, I was completely overwhelmed with repairs in Seattle. Yeah. It was outrageous. Yeah. I have no idea who's fixing all those guitars now. I don't know. (laughs) Thank you for your patience and your support while this transition takes place. I should be up and running by July and ready to take custom orders. I will send out an email in a few months to let everybody know when I'm making guitars again. I will be completely overhauling the website, pinupcustomguitars.com, as well. Guitars will be available directly through me via the website as well as through Emerald City Guitars in Seattle, Washington. I'm extremely excited to be able to make more guitars and hope to be making one for you someday soon. Thanks, Eric Daw of Pinup Custom Guitars. That's me. Cool. Yeah. Nice nice email. Well, you know, I just wanted to fill everybody in. I know it's boring for some of you who this this is the second time you're hearing about it, but a lot of people missed last episode, so. Yeah. Um the other thing I wanted to mention is I got crazy and recorded a bunch of YouTube videos and uh uh what kind of YouTube videos? Oh, well, they're repair related. Oh. They're guitar related <laughs> videos. <laughs> nothing nothing uh untoward. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what you're thinking. <laughs> uh, so I have, I don't know, four or five repair videos on YouTube, and I'm going to continue to do that because it was really fun, and I think it's going to be a cool addition to this podcast. So if you haven't seen them, go to YouTube and just type in my name, Eric Daw, E-R-I-C-D-A-W. There's a video about rewinding a 1954 Strat pickup. There's a video about restoring a 1950 Broadcaster, among other things. Uh, So check that out. I wish I could give you a special URL to go there, but YouTube won't give me a special URL until I have at least 100 subscribers. So you need to go there and check out the video, and while you're there, subscribe. That way I can get a fancy URL, and I can share it with everybody. Um, that's all the news. Did you have anything to share? No. Okay, let's take some calls, shall we? Okay. Hi, Eric and Melissa and family. Uh, this is Rick in Seattle, and, uh, I hope that your move is, uh, settling in, and I'm looking forward to hearing a new threat files. 
I have a question about acoustic guitar pickups, and I know that you've answered them in the in the past, but um, I'm thinking that you might have a little bit of an update. I've got a nice Gibson Blues King that did not come with uh, with any kind of a pickup, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are for uh, currently the best acoustic pickup for this, number one. And number two is, what's this going to do to the value of this uh, guitar? Am I going to add value by putting in a nice pickup, or am I going to decrease value going forward for uh, by putting in a pickup? And then sort of, I guess, a third question, are there any peculiarities from acoustic guitar to acoustic guitar that might make you choose one uh, pickup over another. Anyway, um, I look forward to the next Fret Files, and uh, again, hope you guys are doing well in Idaho. Thanks. Thanks for the question, Rick. Uh, the pickup that I would generally recommend to you would be a K&K. That's an Oregon-made pickup. They, uh, that's the, it's a pickup that I've recommended on the show in the past. Uh, it's a very non-invasive pickup. It's um, a, a very natural-sounding pickup. It's a, it's a passive pickup, which I like, so there's no, there's no battery. There's very, actually very little going on with the pickup. It's very non-complicated, which is what I like about it. And it sounds so good. Um, you know, it's just it's been my favorite pickup for a while now. It's basically three little um, contact elements that um, get glued onto your uh, bridge plate. Basically super glued onto your bridge plate. The underside of the bridge yes, plate? Yes, right. So it's invisible from the, you know, from the outside of the guitar. But on the inside of the guitar, there's three little contact mics, little piezo elements that are glued to the bridge plate. And then a jack where your strap button goes so a, a strap pin jack and if you want you can add their optional volume control but it's a it's a passive pickup uh and it's the loudest passive pickup i've ever seen i've ever heard wow. yeah usually passive pickups need a preamp this one really doesn't you can go without a preamp and it's got a good sound so that's the one i recommend they retail for about 139 dollars um, what does adding a pickup do to the value of your guitar? On a modern guitar like that, it's really a lateral move. Um, you know, in some people's eyes, it, it increases the value a little bit as as the resale, you know, because it has an added pickup, but you'll never get your full money back out of it. I mean, it's really just a lateral move. It's not. It doesn't hurt the value. It doesn't really add to the value. Um, but it's it's a pretty good thing to have if you need it. So don't let what it does to the value um, uh, distort your opinion on what on what you should do there. Uh, what are some of the differences in different guitars that that would make me recommend a different pickup? Well, some pickups uh, and some guitars just aren't very compatible. You know, you used to have the under-saddle pickups. And there's a lot of guitars that just that won't work for there's guitars where the saddles are glued in. There's old Gibsons where that that saddle is adjustable. It doesn't take it doesn't take a saddle pickup. The K and K is pretty universal. I, I've I'm trying to think of any guitar that it wouldn't fit on. Um, sometimes you have a really narrow bridge plate, a really narrow bridge pad, so it wouldn't work in that instance. But that's um, that's probably not the case. I'm sure on on your little Gibson. So yeah, go right ahead. 
that's the one I would recommend, K&K. And uh, thanks for the call. I really appreciate it. Uh, before we get into the questions, before we get into the uh, emails, there is one thing I wanted to mention. We've been doing this podcast now for two years, three years? Three years. And it's been a monthly podcast, but the time that has been freed up by moving to Idaho, I, I think I want to take this to a weekly podcast. Sweet. I mentioned it last month, but I know some of you missed last month's podcast, so I did want to add that. We are going to make this a weekly podcast. It's going to be a month or two because I'm going to have to figure out how to do it as far as... Um, I, I think I'm going to move everything to a new website, and I need to figure out storage and and uh, basically how to design a, a podcast website from scratch. But that's what we're going to do. That's the goal. So uh, look forward to that. But uh, meanwhile, we'll be coming at you monthly for at least a couple more months here. So anyhow, shall we get into some questions? Sounds good. Go ahead. Hi, Eric. Just a follow-up to a question you had on last month's podcast. A listener said that he doesn't think court made a- makes Asian-made fenders. In reality, a, size and por- a sizable portion of court's production is for fender, estimated to be as high as 50% of court's total output. You never commented on that part of his question, so pardon me if you already know this, but I thought I'd chime in with my knowledge of the situation. As far as I know, Fender has used Court as their sole Korean manufacturer since the 90s. Korean Fenders made by Court have serial numbers that start with the letter C or KC. They're actually pretty decent guitars, especially for the money. Anyhow, thanks for the great podcast. Seattle will miss you. Chris in Seattle. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, that's. I'm, I'm so glad that you chimed in with that because I completely neglected to address that part of the uh, question um, when the, the the question was about it wasn't really about court it was about what what does CE mean on, do you remember the question yeah yeah what does CE mean when you see that on a guitar and he thought that maybe it stood for court <clears throat> anyway yeah Chris you're absolutely right court makes a lot of Fender products and uh, they have for a long time so yeah thanks for adding that I, I do appreciate it because uh when you when I read your letter, I thought, oh, yeah, I completely forgot to even include that in addressing that question. So thank you. Appreciate that. Greetings from Alabama. I enjoy your podcast. I've had a repair slash retail shop in Alabama for 30 years. Homewood Music. I heard you grumbling about using steel wool. I don't use it on electrics. I wrap my wad of steel wool around a stack of rare earth magnets. When I polish frets or clean fingerboards, no fragments of steel wool fall off the wad. Give that a shot. Bob Tedro. From Homewood Music in Alabama. Thanks, Bob. That is a brilliant, I know. A brilliant idea, and I'm definitely going to try that. It's so simple, but yeah. Brilliant. I know. Well, and this is just the kind of thing that I want you, because I know a lot of techs and repair guys listen to this show. This is the kind of thing that would be great. You know, I gave Bob a plug here, right? Right. Homewood Music in Alabama. He's got a great repair tip. I mean, that is just beautiful. So if you run a shop, or even if you're just an amateur, and you have any repair tips and tricks that you'd like to share with us, send them on in. I love it. I love it. 
but that's a great tip, man. Yeah, it really is. Wrap steel wool around a stack of rare earth magnets, which are really strong, neodymium magnets. And it keeps the uh, it keeps the little particles from going everywhere. That makes so much sense. I know. I love it. Bob, thanks so much, man. I, I do appreciate that. That's awesome. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Good luck with your move and all your plans. Looking forward to the two of you conquering the guitar playing world. Oh, and let me know if the move increases the chance of more lefty tellies being produced, as I'd really like to add a dog guitar to my little collection. I have a non-techie question today. Can you tell me just a little bit about your outro instrumental you use to end the podcast? Chords, tuning, etc. I really like the piece, but for some reason I'm totally stumped when I try to figure it out. Thanks, Axel. That's, that's cool, Axel. I appreciate it. And uh, I am going to make some lefties. And we are going to conquer the guitar world. No, we're not really. But I do want to say, I don't make tellies. I make uh, replica guitars uh, that are... No, not, that not are, replica. They they are... Uh, oh, it, yeah. It's Relic that's trademarked, right? Relic is a trademark of the Fender Musical Instrument so it Corporation. Is a <laughs> it's I know. I try to walk the line here. I try to walk a tender legal line. I don't make tellies. I don't make fenders. I make pinup custom guitars. They are they are tributes to the classic guitars of the fifties, but they are not tellies. Oh, they may cast a similar shadow. Oh, they may be they may be very similar in the in the curves. However, I do not call them tellies, but yes, a lefty Maybe in your future, Axel. Um, <clears throat> I'm so sorry. I'm losing my voice today. I, I've been screaming at my kids all day. <laughs> that's not true. Uh, that outro music is a piece of music that I wrote um, in 2008 or so. And uh, it's just a little ditty that I played and put on, on my self-titled CD and it just seemed like a fitting outro for the podcast. I'm glad you like it. I really appreciate you uh, mentioning that. Um, it's a it's relatively simple. It's just in it's in E. Um, I may have been tuned to half step flat for the re- the recording. I don't know, but uh, it's just in E. And uh, I tell you what I'll do, Axel. Here's what I'll do. My YouTube channel, which I mentioned. I'm going to record myself playing it so you can see my hands and where they are. Um, it's a really simple little, you know, uh, I would call it a little blues finger-picking song. And uh, the chords are E, A, B, and F sharp. I mean, that's it. It's it's pretty simple. So I'll I'll record, I'll tell you, before, before the next episode... So sometime in the next month, I will record myself, a video of myself playing that, and put it on my YouTube channel for you. And uh, if I've, I think I've got your email address, I'll, I'll send you a link to it, but uh, look out for that. Thanks, Axel. Thanks, Axel. I appreciate it. Is a left-handed acoustic guitar braced differently than a right-handed one? JJ in North Carolina. Check out the... Check out the smart questions we get. I know from awesome I listeners. I love this question because so it's something that I smart. would never think of. But JJ, yeah. JJ, that's such a cool question. Um, I would say this: it depends on the guitar. Some left-handed acoustic guitars are going to be braced differently, and some are not. 
For example, a classical guitar is going to be braced identically either way because it's a symmetrical bla- bracing pattern. Right. It's the same on the bass as it is on the treble. Right. Martin bracing is not symmetrical. It is different because they have tone bars that run. Um, so there's an X brace that's symmetrical. Mm-hmm. And then under the X brace, there's th- there's tone bars that that are diagonal. You're right. And so those are going to be running the opposite way on a on a left-handed guitar. Fascinating. Yeah. And there's other there's other symmetrical bracing patterns like a ladder braced guitar, like right. a, like a Gibson uh, ladder braced. You know, I can't even remember the LGO. Like a Gibson LGO <clears throat> or something like that that has a ladder brace. That's going to be symmetrical. So if it were left-handed, it would be the same. And uh, they, you know, Gibson Gibson did this weird double X bracing pattern. And that would be, that would be the same. That would be symmetrical. So it depends on the guitar. Not all of them are going to be the same, um, but some of them will. So... Uh, because not all our acoustic guitars are braced the same. There's yeah. all kinds of different bracing patterns, so it really depends on the guitar. Can I ask another question? What, why the different bracing patterns? Why not just pick an easy one and stick with it? Do they have different tone qualities? or They do. They have different histories. They have different tone qualities. Different companies have... I mean, Martin pioneered the X-Brace, uh, and it's, it you know... Almost all steel guitars, steel string guitars, use that. Uh, at least, you know, nice steel string guitars use right. an X-brace. But a classical guitar is not braced the same. Interesting. Because it has different tension, and it's made with different yeah. properties and different wood, and it has different strings strung to a different tension, and it has different sound. Right, there, I guess that makes sense. A classical sense. guitar is not braced as heavily huh. as a steel string guitar. So, like, if you put steel strings on a classical guitar it's just going to collapse well it would yeah it would come apart and warp and yeah interesting so guitars yeah different acoustic guitars are braced differently well thank you so much for that question jj yeah it was awesome that's great let's take a little break and we'll be right back with more questions hi podcast fans jay boone from emerald city guitars here we've been down here in pioneer square in downtown seattle for 20 years and a lot of things have changed One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you'd need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps. Hey everyone, it's Melissa. As many of you may know, I make tooled leather guitar straps. Each strap is cut, carved, stamped, dyed, and finished by hand. My straps are made to last a lifetime. Visit melcoleather.com to check out my designs or contact me with your custom order. 
contact me through my Etsy site or melcoleather at gmail.com. Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. melcoleather.com. M-E-L-C-O leather.com. don't only repair guitars, right? I also build guitars, and they're called Pinup Custom Guitars. You can check them out online at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's P-I-N-U-P, customguitars.com. And uh, I've been putting off making a commercial for so long because it's just, it's, I don't know, it, what good would it be for me to tell you about them? Because obviously I think they're great. I make them. Obviously, I think they're the best. I make them. So I decided what I would do would be uh, to put out the call uh, for some owners of some of my guitars to uh, tell you what they think. And uh, so that's what I've done. So I'll, I'll, I'll let some of the owners of my guitars tell you about them. Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones & Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the, the real vintage style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage sounding instrument. Very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat 50 style neck. This is Joshua Delaguerra. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my, uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I, I ended up buying two of them and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I'll tell you what, if I have the money, I don't tend them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. Well, there you have it. And if you've been wondering what my guitars sound like, you've been listening to them all along. Uh, that last song was, was uh, Darren Jones. Jones and Fisher using his pinup, and all the other music is me using my guitars. And uh, I just, you know, these guitars are what I call vintage-style recreations of famous 50s guitars. I don't make Telecasters. I don't make Stratocasters. Only Fender makes those. These are tributes to those guitars. And uh, Telecaster, Stratocaster, those are registered trademarks, obviously, of the Fender Music Instrument Corporation. And back to reality. Is there a podcast going on in here? Yes. Let's uh, let's answer some more questions, shall we? What is your opinion of no-load pots? Good luck in Idaho. Crash. That's his name, Crash. Yeah, oh, I remember Crash. crash. Yeah, right. By the way, I hope you crash. <laughs> um, no, I remember Crash. My opinion on no-load pots is that it's a cool idea. Oh, do you know what a no-load pot tell is? Me, please I tell assume me. that people don't know. Some don't. people might not. So, a pot, that's short for potentiometer, right? Right. 
and it's a variable resistor, and a resistor has a value, right? So 250,000 ohms is your standard, like, Fender-style pot. 500,000 ohms is your standard Gibson-style pot. Okay. And even when it's turned all the way up, it's still in the circuit, right? Right. So it's still putting a load, a 500,000 ohm load, uh, on your circuit, even when the volume is turned all the way up. Uh, the, so if you were to, if you were to um, take the pot out of the circuit, you would hear just the slightest increase of gain and slightest increase in, in certain frequencies. Okay. Volume, right? Okay. So what a no-load pot does, and it's something that Fender sells, it's a Fender no-load pot, uh, rather than um, having a 250,000 ohm load when it's all the way up, the carbon path, so there's, the, I know this is a little more technical no, than it needs me. to be. When you turn the, the knob, right. there's a little slider inside that wipes across a carbon path. Okay. And so on a no load pot, when you turn it all the way up, the very end of that path is missing. So it takes that load completely out of the circuit and it's like there's no pot there. Oh. Yeah. So it... So it increases the gain. So what it does is when your volume is turned all the way up, it's as though your pickups are wired directly to the jack and there is no load on the circuit. Oh, okay. And so it's supposed to give you a little more volume, a little more fuller tone, and a little more um, output. Well, that I mean, we're talking. Cool. Yeah, we're talking. Um, it's a. It's not a huge difference, but there's a there's a difference. There's a discernible audible difference okay the problem is and i have two problems with it the no load pots that i've used have <clears throat> have a detent you know what a detent is no so when you turn it all the way up the it has like a notch in it so that it it doesn't oh. roll back very easy it's like right sure i know what you mean like it's it kind of clicks in it kind of it's kind of stuck there all the way up which bugs me <laughs> because when I'm using my volume control, I want it to, to, to roll with almost no friction very easily so I can make tiny adjustments, right? Right. And if there's a detent there, then you have to put more pressure on it and, it, and then you, it jumps out of the detent. And so right. there's not a very smooth transition from all the way up to anywhere else. That's my first problem with it. My other problem with it is that um, it doesn't sound quite right to me to have no pot in the circuit on a Fender-style guitar, or any guitar really, but mostly a Fender-style guitar because it ends up sounding a little bit too harsh. I'm used to the sound of a guitar with, with pots in it that have a standard load in the circuit. Right. So... No load pots end up sounding just a little bit harsh to my ears, especially on, say, a Telecaster, which is kind of my favorite. Okay. That's that's my opinion. Other than that, I mean, they're a cool idea, 
and they're nice because they do give you a little, you know, it, it's like that pickup wired directly to the jack, which is kind of cool. But if they made them without a detent, and maybe they do, I just don't know. The ones I've tried have a detent. So if they make them without a detent, that'd probably be the way I would want to go. Nice. Well, thanks, Crash. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I have two guitars that have a couple of headstock decal mysteries, at least to me. One is a 1958 Gibson Les Paul Jr. that is missing the Les Paul Jr. screen print on the headstock that runs vertically. There is not even the slightest hint that it might have been there at one time, but the Gibson logo is all there. I see it on most juniors, but curious if it's known that maybe some were manufactured without them. And second... I have a 1965 Martin D18 with a headstock decal that is really dark. It's like 80% of the gold in the lettering has turned to forest green. Do you know what causes this? I've seen it a couple of times, but it doesn't seem too common. Thanks to both of you for continuing to do the podcast. I haven't missed an episode yet. Robert. Right on. Thanks, Robert. Great questions. Um, I've seen plenty of old Gibsons that uh, the either the decals aren't you know exactly what you'd expect them to be or they're missing certain parts of it. So I wouldn't really worry too much about that, especially on their budget line. You know, guitars like Les Paul Juniors. Um, you know, you'd never you would never see a Les Paul Standard from the fifties that didn't say Les Paul Standard, uh, Les Paul model. You know it it would always say Les Paul on it. Right. But the juniors, yeah. It's like they didn't feel like screen printing that part or something, you know. I'm sure that there's a few of them. And I've seen a lot, you know, It's you want all these vintage guitars to fit nicely and neatly into uh, the box that they should fit into. And you want them... Um, you want them to um, align with all the information that we have about them. Uh, but they don't always do that. There, there's so many. You, you see so many anomalies. Uh, they, they really weren't thinking about future collecti- collectability on these guitars at all. Right. They, they never really. They never. I'm sure it never crossed their mind that anyone would even care about whether, you know, what what the logo was on a Les Paul Junior. Anyway, I've seen a few that that don't have them, and I'm sure that that it's not a big deal. It's just one of those things. On your Martin, uh, yeah, they they used metallic ink on those, uh, as did Fender, and they oxidize. There's actually metal in the ink, and oh, wow. it rusts and turns green like, like, like you know, copper? like copper does. Yeah, so I don't know if they're using... Uh, they're using filings, like, you know, just little metal filings in the ink. And that that metal oxidizes and turns green. Interesting. So, yeah, so it's not uncommon. I see it all the time. It just depends on what the guitar has has been subject to, you know, humidity wise. Huh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, but they turn a cool green. I see it on Fenders too. Fenders and Martins. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Robert. Hi, Eric. I just discovered your podcast, and I am really enjoying it. I have several electric guitars, but my dad just gave me an Aria 551 classical guitar that he got in the early 70s. I was a kid when he bought it, and I always loved its sound as he was learning to play. It is in perfect shape, and I'm proud to be the new owner. 
He cautioned me to loosen the strings after each practice session. I remember he always did that, and at the end, at the time, I just took it for granted. I suspect the salesman where he bought it told him to do it, and he religiously followed the instruction. I'm not sure I would have worried about it, except that my mom pulled her aunt's old Washburn mandolin out of the closet a while back, and the top was badly warped. It's a bowl back with a flat top, probably 90 to 100 years old. I hadn't seen it for probably 30 years, but I don't remember it being warped before, and it was stored in tune. So, should I loosen the strings each time I put it away? Further, should I do this to my wife's 12-string and my own arch-top mandolin? Thanks for the great show. Fred Patton, San Jose, California. Cool. Thanks, Fred. You know, I hear people talk about this, and it's just... I I think that it's a little bit overzealous to be detuning your strings between each practice session. I'm assuming you're practicing, you know, weekly at least. Right. If not daily or every other day or something like that. And especially on a classical guitar, they're not under near as much tension as a steel string guitar. And that aria, I, I don't know if an aria 551 is a laminated top or a solid top, but if it's a laminated top, then it even has more structural integrity, really. Even though, uh, for tone purposes, you would want a solid top, a laminated top actually will withstand this, the string tension a little better. So, yeah, classical guitar, I wouldn't worry about detuning it in between practice sessions. I really wouldn't. I I, I would say that that's way overzealous. Well, but if if he's going to put it in storage for... I was just going to say, if you're going to put it in storage for a while, sure, detune the strings a little. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're going to they're gonna warp... Um, Guitars are going to warp over time, and there's really kind of no way around it because they're under tension, and depending on the, the temperatures and humidity differences that they get uh, that they get subjected to. But the guitars are made to play, and so and detuning them, be, you know, every other day is just it's it's way overzealous. On your wife's twelve string, and on the on the one hundred year old mandolin you're talking about, uh, all the I always see those old bullback mandolins are always warped. They're just always warped. Twelve strings are under way more tension than your standard steel string guitar and detuning them is not a bad idea um but what a pain in the neck yeah be- between so nobody does it well sessions? a lot of people just tune them down a whole step and then capo up two frets oh yeah and what about his arch top mandolin i wouldn't worry about it i wouldn't i wouldn't detune no i wouldn't de- there i really I can't think of any guitar that I would detune every time I played it. I I, I just think that that's way overzealous. Hmm. Unless it's like a... I don't know. I just... I, I, I really wouldn't worry about it, Fred. It, it's, uh, it's something that I think... Like you said, I think it's something that the salesman uh, told your dad. And um, I hear people talk about this. And it's just a really, really rare thing. Almost nobody does it. Huh. Yeah. What you want to do is you want to play them, keep them in tune, and keep your eyes out for any symptoms of trouble. You know, any warpage, 
any like if the action starts creeping up a little bit and get them maintained regularly and uh, stay on top of any cracks or anything like that, you know, keep up on the maintenance on it and you'll be fine. Cool. That's my recommendation. All right. Thanks, Thanks Fred. Fred. Jinx. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I hope the new home has been an easy transition from the coast. Eric, what is the key to low action? Flatter radius? Bigger string gauge? Thanks, Jonathan in Victoria, Canada. Ah, uh, good old Jonathan. I know. If you're a regular listener, you know Jonathan. We're like brothers. Thank you for the question once again, Jonathan. The key to low action is actually uh, perfectly level frets from one to the next. That makes sense. Um, it, you know, it doesn't really matter on the radius. String gauge, bigger strings are better as far as you know because they're tighter, so they don't they don't have as wide of a vibration, so they are better for string buzz but the key to low action is as as level as as a fret job as you can get and the um truss rod adjusted so the neck is as flat as possible because any high points are just gonna buzz right yeah yeah that's my experience you know um yeah that's my experience cool yeah Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, everyone. We really appreciate you listening. Please participate in the show, especially if we're going to go to a weekly show. I need more questions. Go to ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link, and you can send an email there, and I will use your question as part of the show. Or if you have a comment or a nifty repair tip, or if you just want to write in and tell me how much you hate me, that'd be cool, too. We like those. Yeah. No, anything. Anything like that. Uh, the other way to participate... How come I do this at the end of the show? I really need to do this at the beginning, huh? What do you think? Yeah. Maybe I should just record a liner and just stick it in the beginning of each show. Good idea. Call the show. Leave an email. Leave a voicemail. I mean, leave a voicemail. 757-774-8482. You can call that number and leave a voicemail, and I'll use it as part of the show. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next month. Mm